0: Oh, good evening. It's again a, a wonderful privilege to to be with you. It's uh, refreshing to my soul to be here and uh, to see uh, new faces every time. And so praise God for that. And again, bring greetings from uh, from Heritage in Johannesburg, and uh, to, to know that we we regularly pray for you and think of you. And um, and now we are. We're even bringing people as well uh, uh, to, to support um, So the title for today is Reformation Lessons uh, from the Old Testament because today is Reformation Day, 31st of October. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking, no, it's Halloween. Um, well, it's the same day, but uh, something much better than Halloween is is to remember the Reformation. Uh, and so what is the Reformation or what was the Reformation? Well it was a um, a period in in European church history um, where that was really sparked by a man called Martin Luther. Uh, there were other other reformers before him but God in his providence uh, really used Martin Luther. He was a German monk to to um, as I said, sparked this, this movement. Uh, so what had happened is that the church in Europe, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, had over the centuries added to the scriptures and added uh, various doctrines that were not found in in scripture. Things like the doctrine of purgatory and worship of Mary and uh, veneration of relics and things like that. And so over time, these things had been added, The doctrine of purgatory, especially, uh, had uh, resulted in another teaching of indulgences. So, the the idea of purgatory is that there were some people uh, who were saints. So, in Roman Catholicism, not everyone is a saint, only a few people, and uh, you have to have done certain things, and then you are canonized and you become a saint. And apparently, those people were so good they had extra good works that they could, and so they built up this treasury somewhere of good works, and the regular person uh, was not good enough. So when they died, they had to go to this place called purgatory where they were going to be refined and purified uh, in fire, in torment, until they were good enough to go to to heaven. But what the the church taught was what you could do is you could purchase these indulgences, this merit from the saints. So you could give the church some money, and then they would somehow take these you know the extra merits from the bank and uh, credit it to the person in purgatory and then they could you know bypass the thousand years that they're supposed to be in purgatory and go straight to heaven it's like monopoly you know uh, go straight to, to heaven uh, and this had developed over time and uh, you must remember in this period that most people were uneducated most people were illiterate uh, and so uh, people were held in, in terrible superstition and um, to try and get money, a lot of fearmongering and threats saying, you know, your grandmother is screaming in torment right now. All you have to do is give some money. And there was even a saying, a little jingle that said, you know, the moment a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from Purgatory Springs Uh, And so they were very manipulative, and you can go and watch some of the the movies on Luther to see some of the things that were were done. Um, Luther, uh, it's a process, but he begins to see that these things are not biblical. And he starts to get an understanding of the true gospel, uh, and that we're not saved by works, and that purgatory isn't a real thing. And he starts to develop this, and he writes these 95 theses, which... um, he then nails to the, the church door in Wittenberg uh, where he lived or where he taught. And he uh, uh, the idea was that he's saying these are things I would like to debate. And so that was the way they, they did that. Uh, but the printing press had been invented about 70 years earlier, Gutenberg printing press, and they got hold of this and they started to duplicate it and it just spread like wildfire throughout Europe. And uh, it, it, it um, struck a chord with with everyone. Realization: Wait a minute! This is not the gospel. Uh, this is not truth. This is wrong. Now, Luther wasn't trying to start his own denomination. Maybe some of you come from a Lutheran background. You know that would have been anathema to him. He wasn't one of those guys. He's like, "Hey, I can't get a job. Let me start a church uh, in my own name." Uh, that's not what he wanted to do. He just wanted to reform the the Catholic Church. He actually thought that if the Pope reads what he says, the Pope will, will change. Uh, unbeknownst to him, the Pope was actually pushing this because the Pope, Leo X, wanted money to build St. Peter's Basilica, which he did end up building. And you can go to it today if you wanted to, or you had the, the resources to, to fly there and see it. Um, and so the Pope was actually angry with Luther and excommunicated Luther. And, uh, and that's where... Protestants came from, those who protest against false teaching and error in the church. Um, And so that's the start of the Reformation, and he did that uh, 1517 on this day. He nailed those 95 theses. If you go and read them, they're not that impressive. He still hasn't fully developed his understanding of the gospel and those things, so I wouldn't encourage you to read it. It's quite like expecting something, and then you read it, and you're like, eh, it's not so great. (laughs) Uh, but it's it's really the start, and because of the printing press, it spreads quickly. And uh, the reason we remember it is because it's right to remember when God works in history in powerful ways. And there is no doubt that the Reformation was an incredibly powerful work of God's spirit. Um, it reformed the church, and it's called the Reformation because the church had become deformed over time. It had moved away from the apostolic teaching so the Reformation was a desire to reform the Church back to the teachings of Scripture. Uh, And it was a massive revival. Probably millions of people were converted in the the next few decades, and we are living with the the fruit of the Reformation even to this day. Um, That there are Protestant churches who still hold to the Gospel, and that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. revealed in the scriptures alone Uh, that all flows from the reformation and hebrews 13 says remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of god and all the way through scripture it's important to remember having said that we need to be careful not to to sort of idolize the reformation and idolize the reformers that's another danger that has unfortunately occurred in church history is that People do idolize this period and idolize these people and put them up on pedestals as though they're, they're perfect and untouchable, and that's not the case. Um, all of the reformers were still men who sinned. Martin Luther himself became very angry and bitter at the end of his life and said some terrible anti-Semitic things that the Nazis used to justify the Holocaust, and it's important to know that. Uh, The Bible is so wonderful because what it does is it will show us a giant of the faith like Abraham. And yet I'm not tempted to worship Abraham because I also know Abraham says to his wife, hey, I don't want to get into trouble. Just pretend you're my sister. It's okay if someone else takes you as as their wife. I just don't want to get into trouble. Uh, He was a coward at times. He was unfaithful at times. He was a sinner. Uh, But it's right to honor and respect Abraham, but not to idolize him. And so if you keep that in mind, if you if you honor and respect those who teach God's word, realizing that the best of men are men at best, you'll be okay. We live in a celebrity preacher culture in the church. Everyone has their favorite pastor online and favorite sermons, and these men are really lifted up. But you need to remember that they're also sin, sinful. They're not perfect. Uh, if, you, if you realize that, you'll be okay. There is only one man who is to be worshipped and adored. There is only one man who has never sinned, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You worship Him and adore Him, and honor and respect others, realizing that uh, they're also sinful, and you'll be okay. But if you idolize and lift up men, the moment they fall, uh, it will have devastating effects upon your faith. And so I just want to say that it is right for us to remember but don't idolize that period. Uh, we as a church hold to many Reformed teachings from the Reformation. But we don't wear it that we are, you know, heritage Reformed Baptist church, uh, because that's, that's not what we want to be known as primarily. Uh, we want to be known as those who, who honor God and obey His Word in every sphere of life. So that's the introduction. I'm not going to preach on Martin Luther. I'm going to preach from God's Word. Um, But I want us to learn some lessons from two reformations that occurred in the Old Testament. Uh, And to draw out some principles. uh, And so I want to show you what happened at the time of these two kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, what happened in Europe, and what we want to happen by God's grace in South Africa and Africa, that God would send reformation and revival here to us, what we want to see. And so... We're going to jump around a bit, and you're welcome to try and, try and keep up, but it might be easier if you just write the verses down and go and read them later, and so you can just concentrate. Um, so let's start with these two kings. They were kings of Judah. Again, if you're not familiar with the, the, the Bible story, especially the Old Testament, it can be confusing, but God called a people for himself. He chose Abraham and called created a new nation, the Jewish nation, to be his people. He gave them the law and the covenants and promises. Um, and he gave them a land. And uh, under Saul and David and Solomon, that kingdom was not divided. But because of sin, the kingdom ended up being divided between the north and the south. Uh, Jeroboam became the king in the north and Rehoboam a king in the south. And uh, this is where it gets confusing when you're reading the historical books or the prophets because the names I, I, I found become confusing. The northern kingdom is called Israel. So sometimes you think the whole kingdom is Israel, but it's actually just talking about the northern kingdom. Or else sometimes it's called Samaria, or sometimes it's called Ephraim. So it can get quite, quite confusing. The southern kingdom is called Judah and sometimes Benjamin. Jerusalem was in Judah. The northern kingdom basically never had a good king, and there was a lot of false worship. Uh, And in 722 BC, God judged them. The Assyrians invaded them and uh, took many into exile, and and there was a diaspora. Hezekiah is alive during that period. He is a king in Judah, and he sees God's judgment on the northern kingdom. And um, I want to just paint a picture of the condition of the people of God before these reforms. So we see that they were syncretistic and idolatrous. So what is syncretism? Syncretism is where there's a mixing of religions or religious views. And specifically the truth is mixed with error. Uh, And so you can see this all the way back in in uh, Exodus with Aaron. Remember, he creates those golden calves for them to worship. Quite fascinating that he says, behold, this is the Lord. He uses the covenant name, Yahweh, Jehovah, who brought you out of Egypt. So he's mixing Egyptian worship of animals and and worship of, of the Lord. And so this was going on as well. Syncretism and idolatry, 2 Kings 23 verse 4. The king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. You can see how terrible it has become. The very temple of God is full of idols. Uh, they've set up idols to these false gods. Uh, there was gross immorality, sexual immorality, immorality. Uh, 2 Kings 23, verse 7. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. Can you believe that? Uh, That God's people had drifted so far from the truth that they had even built houses to cult male prostitutes. Uh, They had set up these idols, it was a horrific state. Uh, There there were false prophets, and there was no faithful teaching and preaching of God's Word. So that's the condition in Judah. What was the condition in Europe? Well, i mentioned some of the errors already in the Roman Catholic Church. There was syncretism. uh, Mixing of Christianity with uh, Greek philosophy uh, had occurred, and there was the the, uh, accretion of false theologies over time, including the worship and veneration of relics. So relics were... Uh, anything like the, the bones of a saint, a um, you know, piece of wood from the cross, uh, the bones of a, an apostle, or something like that. And they would, people would collect them and pay large amounts of money. And, and people would travel all over Europe to go and see these relics. It was supposed, to, you can see the superstition that was involved. Martin Luther says this what lies there are about relics. One claims to have a feather from the wing of the angel Gabriel. And the bishop of Mainz has a flame from Moses' burning bush. And how does it happen that 18 apostles are buried in Germany when Christ had only 12? You can see this development over time of uh, veneration of relics. And so there is syncretism, idolatry. There was gross immorality as well. Greed, corruption, sexual immorality. Uh, in Roman Catholicism, they teach that you can't be a priest, a pastor, uh, unless you're single and celibate. Okay? So you're not allowed to marry. And yet most of the, the priests uh, had many children by different women. It was commonplace. The Pope as well had many, many mistresses and many children. And so sexual immorality, there was false teaching, no faithful preaching and teaching. In fact, um. The Mass and the teachings were all in Latin, and uh, most people were illiterate. They didn't understand Latin. Uh, even many of the priests didn't understand Latin. So it's really the blind leading the blind. Nobody is hearing the gospel. That was the condition. But what about the condition generally at large in Africa right now? Well, is there syncretism and idolatry in the church? Yes. Uh, there is mixing of materialism, of greed. Uh, and Christianity, think of the prosperity message to say it really sanctifies one's greed. Everyone wants to be powerful. Everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants to be healthy. And now they just mix that with Christian, Christianity. They add some Christianese to it. They sanctify it. So it's great. Now I can be materialistic. I can be greedy. And it's justified. It's baptized. It's okay. Or uh, mixing of Christianity and ancestor worship. Uh, that's syncretism and idolatry. What about immorality? Well, every other week, isn't there some, some so-called pastor is being exposed for for corruption and greed. In fact, there's boasting in, in you know how many jets one has and how many Bentleys and all of those things. But also sexual immorality is being exposed. Uh, affairs with secretaries and other church members and sexual abuse and all of these things are being exposed. And yet, These these so-called churches continue. I lecture at at, uh, Mucanio Theological College, and my students tell me of churches in the townships where everyone knows the pastor is sleeping with many women in the church. It's common knowledge. But nothing is done. Uh, There is no discipline. There's no consequences. People keep going to the church. And so uh, we find that as well. False prophets and false teachers, well, on every corner. Um, you know, you know that, that always the promise. You know, this is your year of victory. This is your year of blessing. This is your year of overcoming. And uh, you know, they got it wrong with 2020, um, but they they're still in business. Uh, people still go to them, uh, and so you see the similarities and the the desperate need that God would work. And so my my desire is that we'd learn lessons and cry out to God that He would. Uh, Send a reformation and a revival to the church in Africa. So, five lessons I would like us to see or to learn. Uh, Number one, recovery of the scriptures. Number two, cleansing of the temple. Number three, restoration of true worship. Number four, restoration of the sacraments. And number five, restoration of the gospel. So number one, recovery of the scriptures. This is the first thing, 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And so uh, it shows you what a mess Judaism had fallen into, that they had actually lost the Bible, at least the scriptures from that time, up until that time. They had lost them. While they're cleaning out and getting rid of all the idols, they hey, look, here's the scriptures. Uh, here's the book of the law. And they begin to read it, and that's how they start to institute these reforms. And this happens several times in Israel's history, that they lose the Bible and then recover it and start to practice it. Um, now, that has to be the starting point. And that was the starting point with the Reformation in Europe. One of the the mottos of the Reformation was ad fontes, which means back to the fountain, back to the sources. So uh, ordinarily, if you studied theology, you would simply read the commentators who spoke about the other commentators who spoke about the other commentators who somewhere further back actually read the Bible. You wouldn't actually go straight to the Scriptures, you would just read what other people said uh, and that's a common uh, theme in false religion and uh, the way the way that the devil gets people to stop reading the scriptures even to this day in judaism they don't read the scriptures they read what rabbi sonso said concerning what rabbi sonso said concerning what rabbi sonso said um, they don't go back to the actual old testament and read it and see what is it saying the Pharisees were the same. Uh, it was the, what they did. But here they said, we need to go back to the Scriptures, not just in Latin, but back to the original languages, to the Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And so for us today as well, if, if there is any hope of Reformation, it has to be that the Scriptures are primary, that the Scriptures are our ultimate authority. And so don't wait for God to move in some powerful way. Establish it in your heart today that God's Word will be your ultimate authority. I like what Spurgeon said. He said this, he said, many people like to say they stand upon God's Word. He says, I prefer to say I stand under God's Word. God's Word must be our authority, that we submit our lives, we submit our faculties, our our resources, everything under the authority of God's Word. God has spoken and revealed to us His truth. And so the first lesson of Reformation is restoring the primacy of God's Word, a recovering of the Scriptures. The second lesson, cleansing of the temple. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3, this is Hezekiah. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. So I've already read earlier on how they went in and they removed the the idols to Baal and the Asherah, Uh, here to remove the filth. Uh, to remove the the, the homes for the, the male prostitutes, to clean out the temple, they had to do that. They had to cleanse it from all its filth. Now, what does that mean for us? Uh, does it mean we should go around breaking stained glass windows, or um, you know, we're not allowed to have I don't know candles and things? We should smash that afterwards. Is that the idea? Uh, is this the temple of the Lord? Or are we waiting for it to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? No. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ says that he is the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Uh, We are part of Christ. Uh, And so what does it mean? It means to purify the church. Purify the church. And that's exactly what happened in the Reformation. Um, The church is the temple of, of God. 1 Peter 4:17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Talking about the church. Church is the temple. The church is the house of God. So what would it mean to cleanse the temple? To remove false teachers? To remove false prophets? To remove heretics? Okay. That's exactly what happened in the, in the Reformation. Uh, people... People got rid of those who didn't preach the the gospel. It would also mean to remove unbelievers who claim to be Christian. We talk about the attributes of the church from the Apostles' Creed. One holy Catholic, which means universal, and apostolic church. One holy universal church, apostolic church. So the Reformers were saying, well, that's us. And the Roman Catholic Church was saying, well, that's also us. And so what the Reformers did is said, well, uh, what is going to distinguish between us? And they came up with the three marks of the true church. They said, what are the marks of a true church? And there are three of them. And the first one is the faithful preaching of God's word. It's just because it maybe has church on the outside does not mean it's a true church. Is there faithful preaching of God's word? Is there a recovery of the scriptures and a proclamation of the scriptures? The second mark was faithful practice of the sacraments of communion and baptism. And the third one was church discipline. To say, we need to, as best possible, keep the church pure. This is the temple of God. This is is the, the, the house of God. We need to keep it as pure as possible. This is not something about being self-righteous and uh, condescending or something like that. Um, we all sin. Uh, but there is wonderful forgiveness. E- even God's people sin grievously at times, but if there is repentance, there is forgiveness. This is not about you know going on a witch hunt and just getting rid of people who don't live up to some standard we've created. People are repentant of their sin. There is forgiveness and joy, and it's fine. You carry on. But if someone is rebellious and continues in unrepentant sin, they cannot bear the name of Christ. And so church discipline is there. And imagine if if churches rose up and got rid of false teachers. What a wonderful thing that would be. Imagine churches in South Africa said, You're a heretic. Get out of here. We're not paying your salary anymore. Uh, We've been this during this year going through second Corinthians and just showing how Paul writes to the church the congregation has a responsibility you can't say well it, you know it's the pastor yeah he's going off the rails a bit but that's his problem no Paul says that you church you have a responsibility regarding the teaching and preaching in the church you know that if nobody listened to these heretics they would be out of business isn't that right So, that's what it means to purify the temple. The Scriptures also speak, though, about us as individuals being the temple of God, don't they? 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6 says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So at a corporate level, we want to keep the temple clean. Get rid of false teachers and those who are unrepentant, continuing unrepentant sin. But on a personal level, also get rid of the filth, because you're also the temple of God. Notice the, the similarity between the language here and the passage that I read. Get rid of the filth. Be putting off sin in your life. Cut off Pluck out. Get rid of the sin and the filth. That's part of cleansing the temple. And then lastly, last application for this point. Cleansing the temple sometimes means removing traditions that have become perverted. 2 Kings 18.3 And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So the bronze serpent may be wondering what that, what that is about. But again, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, uh, they disobeyed God. God judged them, sent these fiery serpents, that bit people, and eventually they would die. And they cried out to God. have mercy upon them and he says to moses moses what i want you to do is make a bronze serpent and lift it up and whoever looks upon it will be healed and it's a glorious picture of the gospel and you might say how is that's weird why would they you know lift up a serpent how is that a picture of the gospel well remember serpents were cursed weren't they Uh, all the way back in genesis chapter 3. well how does that point me to Jesus? How can you say Jesus is like a serpent? What's going on here? Uh, well, remember what the Bible teaches. Anyone who hangs upon a tree is cursed. Jesus was cursed for our sake. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But if you look to him, you will live. Spurgeon's conversion, he says that. Uh, if you've read his testimony, he's, he's battling for months with an understanding of his sin and his guilt, and he's going from church to church trying to find out, how can I get rid of this guilt? And he ends up, uh, he's on his way to one church and he can't make it because there's snow, and he goes past the church, and he, it's a Methodist church, he hears this loud singing, and he decides to go in, and the person who was supposed to come and preach couldn't make it. And so he says this old man, who was not really a preacher, got up and just said, look and live." Look and live. And he, he looked at Spurgeon and said, Young man, look and live. And he said he suddenly realized that's all it is. It's not my works. It's not these things. It's simply to look. It's faith. It's Christ. And that's, what has he done for me? That's why it's good news. It's not good news what you must do. We often think that. What is the, you ask people, what is the gospel? Repent and believe. That's not the gospel. That's your response to the gospel. The gospel is what he has done. Cursed for your sake and my sake. Look to him. So it's a wonderful picture. It's a good thing. Was it good for them to remember that? Yes. What a powerful example of God's grace. But what had happened is they perverted this good tradition. They began to worship and idolize this bronze serpent. Needed to be eradicated. Christians are not those who are anti-tradition. Paul speaks about good traditions of the fathers. Um... There are good traditions that we want to hold on to, but if those traditions become perverted, then we need to be willing to get rid of them. One of the, again, one of the maxims of the Reformation was semper reformanda always reforming. It doesn't mean always being like creative and changing things every week and we're always reforming and we're changing it all the time for the sake of change. No, if something is unbiblical, Uh, we change it. We want to always be coming more and more in line with the Scriptures, examining our practices, examining every aspect under the the microscope of God's Word. What is going on? Is this right, what we're doing? We take that seriously. Because God takes worship seriously, doesn't He? If you doubt that, uh, go and read about uh, two guys who brought strange fire and God burned them. You think, my goodness, I mean, they just... Used a bick instead of lion matches. God burned them to pieces, okay? Because he takes his worship seriously. He says, This is the fire you use for my sacrifices, not this. And they're like, ah, it's not a big deal. We'll use this fire. God kills them. God says, This is how you worship me. Okay? If you go, if you were to go and see the Queen of England, you can't decide how you're going to do it. They will tell you, this is the protocol. You stand here, you wait here, you walk in, then you do this. You bow or curtsy, you're not allowed to talk, you're not allowed to do this. You come on her terms because of the position. You come to God, you come on His terms. Not your terms, His terms. And so we're always examining, are we doing it correctly? We want to be as faithful to God as possible. And so that's the second uh, lesson, the cleansing of the temple. Cleanse the church. Cleanse ourselves as individuals, and if there are ungodly or traditions that have become perverted and lost their original meaning, then then remove them. Point three: restoration of true worship. Restoration of true worship. Uh, this is a, maybe a bit misleading because hopefully you're well taught. Uh, most Christians, if you say, if I said, you know, if you go back to varsity and you said, sure. Uh, this past Lord's Day the worship was great. What do most people think of? They think, no ways, which songs did you sing? Okay. For, the, for them, worship is simply the songs you sing. There's the preaching and then there's the worship. The preaching is not very good, but the worship was great. Okay? Um, I got goosebumps, and so it was great. Uh, that's how most people think. That's not correct. This whole gathering is worship, and in fact, the preaching of God's Word is the high point of our worship. Praise God for music and the, all of those wonderful things that He commands us to do. But when Paul writes at the end of his life to Timothy to say, this is what's important, he doesn't say, well, make sure you get people baptized in the Holy Spirit, make sure you sing lots of songs, make sure of these things. He says, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word, whether people like it or not. And he, says, uh, he reminds him, you're going to stand before God on Judgment Day. I appeal to you by Judgment Day, by Jesus Christ, by everything, preach the Word. And, and we really need to get that into our minds, that the high point of our worship is the preaching of God's Word. Okay. However, I'm going to use it in that bad way for today. Okay? <laughs> I have to say, in all of that, When I refer to worship here, I'm talking about the singing. Whenever there has been a true move of God by His Spirit, there has been a reformation of music and singing as well. Uh, You can go and look at that throughout church history. You can see it in the the history of Israel as well. And so let me read a, a passage, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25. This is what Hezekiah did. He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, carries on in verse 28, the whole assembly worshipped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. So he reinstitutes worship, the singing, musical instruments. Um, and by God's grace, that's what we want to see as the church grows. And if God, if you're a member here or, or in the process of becoming a member and you're able to play a musical instrument, then speak to, to Pastor Ryan. Use that. Okay? It's, it's, God wants all the instruments to be praising Him and to help us in our, in our singing. Not to, to overtake, you know those churches where you go and all you can hear are the drums uh, <laughs> and then they have to put Him behind a perspex shield like what this guy. Uh, let's just try and <laughs> control Him a bit. Uh, no, that's not the idea. The music is always there to help us, you know. Praise of God. To use the instruments, not to take over, but to help us in our in our singing to accompany that. Uh, and Luther was was uh, and Calvin uh, did a lot at the Reformation to make music accessible. Um, so that people could now sing. It wasn't this high music that nobody could sing. That you know you had a professional choir that they sang, and you just it was just entertainment, but that everyone could sing and to get theology across, Uh, it's interesting that he was concerned about young people. He wanted music that young people would, would understand and resonate with. He said this, I should like young people, who in any case should and must be instructed in music and in other proper arts, to have at their disposal something which will rid their minds of lascivious and sensual songs. So lascivious and sensual songs weren't invented with MTV. Uh, they've been around for as long as human beings have been sinful, Okay, sadly. He says, And teach them instead something wholesome, and in their way they may become acquitted with goodness in a joyous manner as befits the young. Okay? Uh, and so... Uh, uh, the, 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 the he, he wrote hymns, your uh, Mighty Fortress is Our God is probably his most well-known hymn, but he, he wrote many other hymns. Calvin uh, had the Psalms done so that people could start to sing the Psalms again, uh, making making songs accessible. And so I, I would love for God to move and to work in South Africa and Africa. And what I guarantee you'll see, if God does that, if he sends reformation and revival, you will see that there will be songs starting to be written. Uh, people will start to write great theology, great songs that people can, can sing. Uh, I, I told the church this morning back home, and this has been right from when we planted Heritage in Johannesburg a decade ago. It's one of my dreams is that uh, one day we would be able to have afford a full-time, theologically trained, musically trained uh, worship leader and songwriter. Okay? Uh, again, through our church history, those two always went together. The people who wrote the best songs were theologically trained. Okay? They knew theology. That's critical. It can't be where well, they just know a nice tune. They need to know the truth of God's Word. You know that many songs are actually heretical. Okay? <laughs> They're full of bad theology. Um, and so, uh, really, maybe the Lord's given you a gift. I don't know. Uh, maybe God's gifted you with poetry. I know, you know sometimes I'm just blown away when I see the gifts God has given to other people, and I'm really jealous. But if God has given you that, develop it. Maybe just start taking you know, tunes from other famous, famous tunes or, and, and writing new lyrics, whatever it is, but begin to, to develop that written from from our context from this this continent that bring glory to God that are rich and true and uh, and the critical thing is that it's that it's congregational okay that's what the scriptures teach that we can all sing it together that's why we don't believe we come to church to be entertained we have a band up front and we just sort of you know the again those churches where you try and sing but it's too complicated and you just really end up listening to the to the people up front, it's, it's 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 like a concert. That's not the idea in the Bible. It's congregational that we can all sing. And that's why congregational music is going to be limited in its style. I like a, an eclectic range of music. I pretty much I don't think there's a genre I don't like. Um, I will I will I like songs from pretty much every genre. I can go from hip-hop to classical, heavy metal, jazz, everything. I like songs from all of them. My wife's always amazed because I play songs from all different ones and she won't like most of them. Um, But if it's good, it's not blasphemous, it's not uh, promoting uh, debauched behavior, and the music is accompanying the the theme, what it's trying to get across, if it's appropriate for the, the message, it's fantastic. I praise God for all the diversity. It's wonderful. But when we gather as God's people, we can't sing those, all those complicated and different styles. That's why if you, if you go to a sports match, you know that it's, it's like church music, isn't it? Because everyone sings there, their chants, their songs for their team. National anthems. You know, you don't find a, a very difficult national anthem because the idea is that we're all supposed to be able to sing it. And so there's that limitation. It must be congregational. And Luther was very very clear that the music must help the message. So when you read the Psalms, you will find very heavy, serious Psalms, won't you? You know, darkness, hello darkness, my only friend. Um, Psalms of repentance. Psalm 51, brokenness before God, psalms of the awesomeness of God, heavy, sober songs. You can't have upbeat, bouncy music for that. It's it's inappropriate. It's right to have heavy music because it's designed to actually change us. Isn't that right? Some people say it's carnal, it affects your flesh. No, it's not. God made you with a body. It's good. Uh, If you're going to say that's carnal, then anything is carnal. Anything you experience is carnal. You should never enjoy anything and you should never hate anything. You should just be neutral. No, God has given us music to move us. And so heavy music can also get across the heaviness of the psalm. It can slow it down that you begin to examine yourself and see your sin before God. But on the other side, there's many psalms that are are full of joy, aren't they? that everything that has breath, praise the Lord and praise him with cymbals and praise him with this, percussion instruments and stringed instruments and uh, even the trees of the field must start clapping their hands. It's full of joy. You can't have heavy music for that. It's supposed to be joyous and we want to move and we want to, it affects us. And so when you see in church history and here at the Reformation and with David and Hezekiah and Josiah there, one of the, the things that will happen, if God moves by His Spirit, there will also be this wonderful uh, development in in worship, in terms of, of music and songwriting. Fourth lesson, uh, restoration of the sacraments. Uh, what I mean by the sacraments, some people think, oh, that's a Catholic word. No, no, it's, uh, it's a good word. It's a means of grace that God has, has given to us. Um, if you Sometimes the word ordinance is used. Um, but when God makes covenants, there is always a a symbol. So, for example, circumcision or Passover, a meal for us, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, for both Hezekiah and Josiah, one of the first things they do is restore the Passover. 2 Kings 23, verse 21. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the Covenant. Uh, And so uh, when you read it, they hadn't been keeping the Passover. They stopped remembering God's deliverance. Remember, the Passover meal is to remember God's salvation out of Egypt. At the Reformation, uh, there's a a recovery. Over time, it takes a, a bit of time. Luther doesn't get it right. Uh, and and so it takes a a bit longer, but there is a recovery of a correct understanding of the Lord's Supper. So Roman Catholicism teaches transubstantiation, that the bread and the wine actually change in their substance, so that when you eat the bread, you're actually literally eating the flesh of Jesus Christ. When you drink the wine, you're literally drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's really anathema because the scriptures say Jesus died once for all, okay? The crucifixion occurred once for all. But over time, there's a development to understand, no, communion is not that. It is a memorial and a spiritual feeding. Christ feeds us spiritually when we eat and drink by faith. Again, Roman Catholicism still teaches that it's simply in the doing of the act that you are, are um, receive the benefits So you could sit there watching YouTube videos on your phone and take the bread and eat it, and that would be fine because you've actually just done the act. Again, the Reformers realized, no, that's not right. It's only if you eat and drink by faith that you receive the benefits. the same with baptism. We're Baptists. Again, the Reformers didn't get it right straight away. It took a while to realize, no, Uh, it's believer's baptism. It's the answer of the individual's good conscience, not the parent's good conscience, but the individual's response to to Christ. There's this this shift from the old to the new to say it's more individualistic. That's why ladies are also baptized. In the old covenant, only only men were circumcised. But now there's a shift. It's still corporate. It's still us as the church, but there is this focus on the individual. And each each one of you, if you're a believer... That you, you become a priest who has access to the very throne of God. Remember in the Old Covenant, only the high priest had access once a year. And so there is this shift that it becomes more individualistic. It's you need to believe. Uh, uh, Martin Luther said that salvation is a case of personal pronouns. My God, okay, I must believe. It can't be my parents' faith, it can't be these wonderful blessings from, from having a believing parent, certainly. And uh, statistically, it's much higher that you will be converted if you have a believing parent. Uh, I could ask for a show of hands. How many of you come from Christian homes or at least one Christian parent, and probably most of you would raise your hands. Uh, but that is not what saves us. Uh, you must repent and believe. God will not do that for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. You must repent and believe and be baptized to obey the Lord. Repent and believe and make that public confession that you belong to Christ, that you died with Him and rose again in Him. So, a restoration of the sacraments. And then lastly, a restoration of the gospel. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 20. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king. And the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, and the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar, to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, that might sound—that's really gruesome. Now, what's going on here? All these animals killed, and this blood that's been been shed. What is going on here? Why are you saying that's the gospel? Why are you saying that's a restoration or a recovery of the gospel? Well, the old covenant is is what theologians call it, a shadow and a type of what comes in the new covenant in the person of Christ. And so because of Israel's sin, and when, when an Israelite sinned, an animal had to die. That's because sin is so serious. An innocent animal has to be put to death. Millions, probably, of animals were slaughtered over the 1,500-year period. All this bloodshed, so that people would get it into their heads. Sin is so horrific. It's not a small thing. It's not a mistake. It's not you know, just a weakness. Sin brings separation from God, which brings death. And so these animals were put to death to make atonement, to pay, in a sense, for the sins that a person has committed. The book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, look, not one single sacrifice actually atoned for a sin. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. It was pointing to the one who would come. Remember when John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ comes as the final sacrifice, the last act of violence, to end all acts of violence. He comes, He lays down His life, the spotless Lamb of God, without sin, without blemish. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He spoke the truth. He healed people, cast out demons. He loved people. Uh, you know, just as we love a... I don't know if you find this. It, it's You can see it... You know, most people, you know, you watch a movie about an animal that dies. Everyone cries. Even the guys are like, just a bit. <coughs> but we watch movies all the time where people die. Uh, our church is in the northern suburbs. Uh, you will see that in the northern suburbs, those wealthy areas, uh, many people don't have children. They have dogs that they love. And they love their dogs more than people. And I can understand that. People are wretched, aren't they? Uh, it's not right, but I can understand it. Uh, you know, your dog's always happy to see you and always the same and it's wonderful. I don't know about cats so much. And I'm like, <laughs> sorry if you're a cat person. Uh, but you need to get that in your head. He has this little lamb. Have you ever seen those little lambs? They can't walk properly. They're so cute. And, and you take it and slit its neck. So beautiful and, and innocent. It hasn't done anything. And then burn it. Okay, What's going on there? You need to think of Christ like that. Perfect. He's not like us. He's not messed up. He doesn't betray people. He's not malicious. He's not nasty. Perfect. Spotless. Beautiful. Butchered. Humiliated. Stripped naked. Spat upon. And then on top of that, that's, that's really nothing in comparison to what the Father does to him in our place. He who knew no sin became sin. That the, the wrath of God falls upon him that we deserve. He's punished in our place. And so here, yeah, the restoration of the sacrificial system is the gospel. It's pointing to Christ, the gospel. And at the Reformation, that's what they recovered. And that's the best thing they did. They had many faults, and, and I disagree with a lot of theology, but they understood this, the gospel, and that's what Luther got. Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. Okay. It's not by your good works. You'll never be good enough. You're born as a broken, blemished, sinful lamb. Okay, You're already messed up when you start. Okay. And we just get worse as we go on. You'll never be good enough. But there is one who was good enough. And he took your place, the place of sinners, the place of all those who put their their trust in him and suffered the punishment that we deserve. And the way you receive it is by faith. You can read the testimony of Luther, or if you don't like reading, you can watch the movies. Uh, Luther hated God. He was a monk who hated God. Why did he hate God? He said, if any monk could get to heaven through monkery, then it was me. Nobody worked harder. He would confess every day for like two or three hours eventually his confessor said go and do some proper sins and come back okay (laughs) he would clean the floors he would whip himself self-flagellation for his sins and he hated god because everything he tried he said god is still angry with me i can't get through i'll never be good enough maybe that's where you are you're trying and trying and trying eventually say forget this but then he's reading and he begins to realize no it's not like that god is not like that he's made a way and i need to receive it by faith not by my works it's a gift that i receive to change them that he was willing to die for this gospel to lose everything for this gospel and so there's a recovery of the gospel and how wouldn't it be wonderful if you know that south africa is a religious country I can say that i'm not going to say it's a christian country not at all religious millions of people went to church today millions and millions i don't know most most people in south africa will say something about christianity even if it's syncretistic or whatever but they're religious imagine if half the pulpits in south africa suddenly started here preaching the gospel what an incredible thing so pray a recovery of the gospel the good news it's it's the greatest message It is the only message that can reconcile us to God and give us eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the way you have worked in church history and in the Old Testament. And uh, it is right for us to remember these things in the right way, not to to make them more than what they were, and not to, uh, to Photoshop things. Uh, but to see how that you, you have worked, even with sinful, sinful men and women. Uh, and that's the only people you have to work with, and yet you do work in spite of our sin, and we praise you for that. and uh, We do cry out that you would, you would have mercy upon our land, upon our continent. We see so many similarities. We see greed and corruption. We see idolatry. Uh, we see false teaching. We see a rejection of your word. Lord, we, we pray that you would, you would work by your Spirit. We can't manipulate you. Uh, we can't twist your arm to do these things. Um, what we can do, though, is cry out to you and plead your attributes. We can't say we deserve it. We deserve for you to work and to, for you to move. Uh, the opposite, we deserve your judgment. We deserve your wrath. We deserve a famine of your word. Uh, and so uh, you don't owe us anything except for judgment. But we plead your attributes. We plead your kindness and your love, your grace. You have told us that you are slow to anger. You are abounding in mercy and steadfast love. So please, Father, have mercy. Uh, Flood the nations with your mercy and your grace. Uh, We long for you to do this. We ask that you would arise and bear your arm and show your might and your power. And save many, many people, millions of people, Lord. Uh, fill the pulpits with faithful gospel preachers and work in a wonderful way uh, to your glory. Uh, that uh, this work would redound through the ages, through eternity. And please help us and help the church at, at Pochestrom to remain faithful to you, to, to hold your word as supreme, to preach the gospel to purify the temple, uh, to faithfully practice the sacraments and to sing praises to you. And we, we ask this blessing in your wonderful name. Amen.